What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Guiding Lights, the beacons for mental wellness independent podcast at UMass Boston. We're combating hidden wounds for college students and amplifying mental health awareness is our direct mission. Today, we're going to be giving you an introduction of mental health in college from one of UMass Boston's very own staff psychologists who works here at the Counseling Center, Kimberly Santora. We're going to be diving into topics like stress, anxiety, depression, grades, sports and physical activities, perfectionism, individual and group therapy, and social media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Alex Gonzalez, and here we have Laura Baptista, Brianna Ward, and Sahara Rose taking charge. Thank you so much for clicking, and let's get right into this podcast. My past training and experiences have mostly been in areas of suicidality, self-harming behaviors, borderline personality disorder, and eating disorders. I also have worked a lot with um, depression as a mood problem. Here at UMass Boston, I work as a generalist though, so those are some of my areas of interest and specialized training, but I work with students with many diverse problems and difficulties at UMass, Um, so we really do it all here, and my areas of special interest and expertise inform some of the work that I do, But I would say that at UMass Boston, I really um, specialize, I guess, in working with students who have either some mental illness or current psychological distress to help people to reconnect to things that are important to them, including their education, um, as students work to really reconnect to their lives and build the life that they're looking for. Is there a set of statistics throughout the years that describe how many hours of counseling have been done or how many students and or other staff have seen you for counseling? Sure, so what I can speak to for this um, to try to get at what you guys might be looking for is that overall, so every week we see new students for consultations who are interested in services. So we schedule about 30 of those a week Um, So we see about 30 new students per week who know that they're interested in some services. Um, That number fluctuates, of course, depending on um, the time of year, whether it's during the height of academic semester or something like summer or over breaks, but we schedule around 30 of those. So that's a lot of new students. That doesn't even include students who come in on emergency. So the Counseling Center offers emergency services every day during our business hours where students who are in some crisis or having a safety concern can walk in to get a more urgent evaluation and support. So that number is a little bit less than the triages, but there's still a significant number of those. So point being, you can get a flavor of how many new students we're seeing every week who are interested in some services. Um, that doesn't include the number of patients that we're seeing um, in a more ongoing way for sessions. And that's a little bit harder to capture because it, again, it sort of like ebbs and flows with the semester and different times of year. But each clinician does hold a caseload of students who are interested in therapy as well as assess new students who are interested in therapy. Not everyone that we end up assessing is seen here at the Counseling Center for a number of different reasons. Sometimes people already have therapists in the community. Sometimes people aren't interested in therapy but want more of a consultation. Sometimes the the need that a person has is so specific that they require a more specialized treatment that can only be found outside the Counseling Center or they need something more regular than we're able to offer them here. 
Um, but I would say that we end up seeing the vast majority of students who come in to the counseling center looking for services. We get really creative with what that looks like because we have, um, yeah, realistically, the way that our, our staffing is, we end up having to get creative to offer students different types of services that can be helpful while also balancing that with the resources that we do have. Um, it's hard to give you a specific number, but I will also add to this that the numbers of students that we see and evaluate and treat has ridden, risen steadily. So I've only been here for five years and I know that the numbers continue to increase every year, but I know that that's been a trend since long before I got here too. That's a trend that not only is happening at UMass Boston, but that happens at other colleges and universities in the Boston area and across the US. So the numbers continue to increase for who's looking for services. Do you think that's um, because of more students coming into the school, or do you think that there's a factor affecting the number of students that come see you or any of the counselors? I think it's a great question, but also a really loaded one. You could mm -hmm. talk about different societal factors. You could talk about how stigma has been changing, um, that more people are willing and open to the idea of mental health services. You can talk about the ways that Maybe things are um, more stressful in some ways for people or the ways that educational access has improved and so people who may not have had the opportunity for college 40 years ago now have the opportunity. So I think it's really hard to say where the numbers come from, but definitely it's happening across the country. It's not isolated to UMass Boston. I don't think it's about our enrollment. I think it's about something even bigger than that. Is there any like common issues you find in the counseling, like common issues in counseling sessions, I guess is the question that he's asking. Um, mm -hmm. So like, are there like patterns or like certain like mm -hmm. more prevalent things that you see coming through the counseling center? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said at the beginning, we, we see it all. Like there is a wide range of diversity of um, problems that come into the counseling center that people are looking for help with. But with that said, um, I'll share that we had a, a list of things that people could check off when they were coming in for the first time for what they were looking for help with. And we recently um, tried to condense those things into sort of some main, main areas that most students are coming in looking for help with. So anxiety issues and depression issues are two of the most popular things we see. That is um, not surprising at all because in the general population, anxiety and depression are very common. And so we would of course expect the same here at UMass Boston. So a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. I'll also mention academic issues that students are coming in with difficulties with their classroom performance, um, feeling like they're not working to their full capacity in the classroom, attention and concentration difficulties. So we're often trying to help assess that piece because attention is a really complicated variable that can be impacted by lots of things like sleep, nutrition, um, interest level, mood, and so we're helping people to figure out where their attentional issues are coming from. Um, general stress, so UMass Boston I do think is unique insofar as not only are our students students, but we see a lot of students who are also caretakers for family, um, first-generation college students, international students, and newer immigrants, 
people who are maybe working full-time or part-time, so they're doing a lot and they have a lot of different responsibilities. So with that comes, I think, a greater level of stress that people are trying to manage and finding a balance. And finally, I'll add on relationship issues that a lot of um, students will come in talking about feeling disconnected in some ways from their communities. Maybe there is, um, I mean, it can look like specific conflict or difficulties with family of origin or partners or friends, but it can also look like a greater sense of feeling isolated in some way or marginalized in some way, struggling to find a community where I feel welcome and included. Um, so that's a really common thing that we face. I, I think that the university has definitely taken strides to help students to connect to communities more here on campus, but it continues to be a struggle for a lot of people. So we end up seeing people who are feeling lonely in some way and wanting help to find more support and healthy communities on campus. So just to clarify, because yeah. you mentioned something that I actually didn't know you guys did here. You actually work with people to help them with like school academic related like stressors, like paying attention in class or like issues relating to classes? I didn't know that you guys did that. It's really interesting. So. Yeah, I mean, therapy can be used for almost anything. People come in with a lot of different things that they're worried about. And yeah, attention is a really big one that we see. Um, the services that we can offer around that include, you know, what we do is, is therapy. And so it's a lot of verbally talking through how does the problem look, when do you notice it the most, what's helpful, what's not helpful, to assist in both assessing the nature of the academic problems and, and difficulties, but also to attempt to intervene in some way. Um, so for example, like I said, there's a lot of different reasons why attention might be hard for someone, but if we find out that it's more a depression issue, it would become treating that depression. If we find out it's more perfectionism, that a person is avoiding doing certain things because of a sense of dread that it won't be good enough, um, then we are working on the perfectionism and the anxiety to help them to perform better in the classroom. Maybe there's social anxieties that need to be treated. Maybe it's executive functioning difficulties. And for some of those things, we refer out as well. So sometimes people need more of like a neuropsychological assessment to better understand how they're cognitive capacity works, right? What are their areas of strengths and difficulties? Is there an attentional deficit that needs to be treated? Um, we also consider things like coaching services through UMB or BEST and connect people with academic coaching, connect people with the Ross Center for Disability Services, which can offer coaching, tutoring. So there's a lot across campus that we're aware of too that we're helping people to get connected to for more assessment and treatment. That's a lot of resources that yeah. I feel like I personally didn't know about, but I feel like a lot of students just aren't aware they exist. Mm -hmm. So that's really awesome. So you, yeah. like, like outside referrals, like outside of the school, or mm -hmm. just outside, like, through, like, other systems in the school? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we're, we're sort of a starting ground for a lot of students, and then once we sort of sort out what the more specialized needs are, we might have other recommendations. 
that yes, includes some resources around school, but also there's people in the community who really specialize in things like learning disabilities or ADHD in the classroom. So we know of a lot of different resources that we can connect students to if this is an issue that they're really wanting to do some work around. Do you have a lot of student athletes that come receive counseling? If you see student athletes, would that be just for the sport aspect of it or is it like you said like something more general but they just happen to be mm. student athletes i think it's more of the second not many we don't end up with many students who are in specifically for their performance in their sport um, <clears throat> that is a specialty that exists and there's people in the community that we could refer to if someone for example wants to really boost their running performance and that's their priority but that's sort of a specialized area of treatment. We end up seeing more students who are, one of their identities is being an athlete, and yet they're here <clears throat> for things that may not be directly related to being an athlete. So they're feeling stressed or overwhelmed in their life, maybe with some anxiety or depression symptoms, maybe struggling with substance abuse or academic functioning. So, would you say that sport and physical activity is a good mechanism for positive mental health? <clears throat> I definitely would. Um, there is some research that suggests that physical activity can be just as helpful as other types of treatment or medication for anxiety and depression. And there's a lot of reasons for that. So um, when it comes to depression, physical activity can really oxygenate the blood. That can increase cognitive clarity and performance. There's some mood boosting hormones that um, and chemicals that can come out with intense physical activity that are helpful for elevating mood. It is overall stimulating to the body, which is helpful with depression and can be grounding in some ways. And so definitely if I'm working with a student with depression, one of the things that I'm always asking is what is your physical activity like? And helping people to work back into more activity. With that said, one of the symptoms of depression is difficulty activating oneself and that um, there are some real physiological changes associated with depression that result in some, some difficulties activating, even getting out of bed, moving with my day-to-day -day activities. And yet we know that if we can help a person to get there, that it can really decrease depression symptoms and help with the healing process. And then similarly with anxiety, we think about anxiety as on the spectrum of a fear response, that anxiety is not just a disorder, it's also just, it's an emotion. It's an emotion that everybody feels, and it's an activating emotion, it's an energy in the body that is associated with the fight or flight system. And so when a person feels anxiety, their body wants to do something. Ironically, sometimes that ends up looking like avoidance, that anxiety and avoidance go hand in hand. Avoidance actually makes things worse, and what's much more helpful is if you can find a way to put that anxious energy to use. Um, one of the ways that you can do that is with physical activity. That evolutionarily speaking, anxiety is getting the body ready to do something, your body wants to do something, um, and so using activity can help to modulate some of that anxiety to get you back to a place where you're ready to, feeling a bit calmer, feeling ready to kind of engage with the task. Um, so physical activity is definitely good for general prevention and wellness, but it's also good if people have a diagnosis of any mental health problem because it can help to alleviate some anxiety and depressive symptoms.
this is a, a pretty overarching umbrella one, but how would you help someone who is overly stressed about college and their career? I mean, when I hear overly stressed, I'm going to think of like the very extreme, yeah. like the people who, because college is stressful for everybody, there's no one who's immune to that. Um, but yes, there are some people for whom they're getting like paralyzed yeah. around yeah. around academic stress. <laughs> and so um, I guess kind of related to what I was saying, one of the things I would do is just is really to validate it that that's not a character flaw. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're not smart enough or competent enough that college is inherently stressful for everyone regardless of ability and capacity and so normalizing that um, which doesn't help it to feel any better but at least helps to reassure you that it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong classes in college are just stressful but I'll add to that that um, I often encourage that if students struggle with perfectionism or a deep sense of shame related to the thought of not being good enough, that that's something that they work on because that can be very debilitating. Some amount of anxiety and stress can be activating and motivating and helpful, but we there's sort of this law of diminishing returns where it can get to a point where the anxiety and stress is actually debilitating for a person and can paralyze them um, to be able to really engage with tasks and perform well. And so a lot of, and coming from a therapist, right, not a professor. So professors might say differently, but as a therapist, I'm often telling people, focus on good enough. Don't focus on, focus on doing your best, not being the best. Um, that really shooting for good enough, shooting for like passing, shooting for the B, ironically helps students to end up achieving more because there's less pressure on yourself. Human beings don't tend to find pressure or harsh criticism as motivating. What is motivating is um, excite, getting excited about things, feeling motivated by things, feeling hopeful about things, and so decreasing anxiety <clears throat> um, in order to increase functioning. I'll also say that I lose the forest for the trees, right? So in that analogy, the forest would be <clears throat> the diploma, the degree, the trees would be the individual assignments. That the more you get stuck on this specific paper, this first sentence, you're really losing sight of the bigger picture, which is what it takes to earn this degree to move forward with my life, to have the job, the career, the graduate school that I want to have for myself. And so that needs to be the bigger focus is graduating and taking the focus away from how well I feel I'm performing on an individual assignment to instead get it done because some credit is better than no credit. Does that make sense? Yes. So that would kind of work with like someone who say has like serious testing anxiety or someone who like <clears throat> has a hard time getting through like waiting for like say like a return grade or something like that. Yeah or even flavors of generalized anxiety or OCD or different anxiety disorders that really end up, you become so consumed with the idea, with evaluating how good is it that you're not actually being effective on doing the thing. And so we end up seeing students who are really capable and intelligent and bright, and yet what the barrier isn't their competence, the barrier is their anxiety. 
where they're not able to hand things in and get grades because they're not doing those things because the anxiety is so paralyzing. Okay. And to register for the Ross Center for Disability yeah. Services <laughs> if you're not already because again, yeah, psychiatric illnesses are medical ones and you can get accommodations for those things with medical documentation. Um, this question kind of refers back to the physical activity aspect mm -hmm. um, which we talked about. Uh, what are your views or thoughts regarding medication for mental health? I know that there has been like some stigma around it. Some people say that it made them worse or it really helped. Um, and going on um, with that, would you say that like mindfulness, meditation, like the physical activity that you mentioned and nutrition could work um, just the same almost as the medication? I think it's a great question and a complicated one. The things that you mentioned about nutrition, activity, mindfulness, they change the brain, they change the body. They can be as effective as medication in some ways and they are certainly worth doing, but I hesitate to say that that is an appropriate supplement for medication for everyone. I think it's a reasonable starting place. I think it's, it's reasonable to focus on those things for prevention and wellness. But medication, I like to view it as it's a tool, it's a means to an end. The medication does not have to be a forever thing, it can be a thing for right now that helps me to get back to my baseline of functioning, of being in the world, um, so that I can move on from medication and or move on with my life. Um, so viewing it as a tool, and it's a very helpful one. I think that people have very personal and subjective differences in their openness or not to medication, and I fully respect all, all ways of viewing it. Um, it really is so individualized, so I can't give an answer that works for everyone. There are some psychiatric diagnoses that are actually much better treated by medication than therapy. Like medication is really helpful really quickly in a way that therapy isn't as much for those specific diagnoses. And then there's other things that therapy is much more helpful for and medication can't touch as well. So it depends on the person, it depends on the diagnosis, but I would say if you're considering it, ask the questions, do the research, talk to your doctor, talk to your therapist, um, learn about it, make an informed decision. You could also always consult with a psychiatrist or with a psychiatric prescriber and then at the end of the conversation say thanks but no thanks. But it's worth learning more if it's something people have an interest in and a, a prescriber could be very honest about their impressions of how helpful or not they think medication would be. Um, and also I've heard of people who have used like self-help books or routines to quote unquote cure their mental health problems. Would you say that that's convincing or do you think that that individual just sort of like scratched the surface and should seek like professional help? I think again, it's a complicated question. <laughs> um, but for most, I, I really wanna put a plug in for self-help materials because I, I think that's fantastic. There's, we're living in a day and age where there's access to information and research and whether or not you have a license, like you can get that information. And there are great self-help books and materials out there. Um, so I really encourage people to do that. I think it's fantastic. I do a lot of that too, kind of reading um, 
stuff that's out there in popular media about mental health and wellness and, and there's some good materials out there there's great books i'm thinking of the treatment that treatments that work series is really good um so there is a lot out there and i love the idea of people reading through that to get inspiration not everything will resonate but some things will and if it feels interesting and useful and you want to apply that to your life and it helps then that's great and that means something. Um, if it's not enough, if it doesn't help, if it feels like you're struggling to put some of those suggestions into play in your life, then it might be worth also considering a consultation with a, a licensed professional. Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't want to minimize like not everyone's difficulties can be treated by a self-help man manual. I think it, it's, again, a great place to start and consider, and I don't want to rule that out. Um, people should empower themselves with the information and education to manage and take care of their bodies and their mental health. And yet, there's no shame in also consulting with someone who has a license to get more individualized treatment for those problems, too. So this is a bit of a random off question, but like, how would you compare that to say, like, more recently you see like on social media, you have like self-help, self-care, like movements and pages going around. Like, how would you compare those sorts of pages versus like an actual like self-help book and how like their effectiveness might work or their usefulness yeah. would be? So you're talking about like blogging and online communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am a, a therapist who um, focuses on what works, and so I'm less I'm less excited about research is important, empirical research is important, but there are things that aren't empirically researched that people do find significantly helpful. And so anecdotally, I know people who use online forums and community supports and support groups that are online through social media or certain web pages about different problems or TED Talks, right? Anything that's out there that feels really inspirational and hopeful and motivating to them. And so I've definitely seen it be helpful and effective for people. So I, I have no problem with it. I love that it's out there, but I would say don't be honest with yourself about if it's helpful or not. If it is, then keep using it. And if it's adding to a sense of this feels confusing or unhelpful or not okay in some way, or I'm worried that this is misinformation, then get a second opinion and or try individual therapy for yourself. But sometimes you can also do both at the same time. Individual therapy is great, but there's a, a limit to that. And it's also nice to have spaces in your life that don't involve the therapist per se. So that I do think that even online communities have similar benefits as in-person communities. That if I'm someone who's feeling isolated in some way, if I can find an online group that resonates with me where people are talking about things that I'm struggling with, then that can't be a bad thing to feel more connected and more heard and validated by that particular group. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. okay. um, and that kind of sparked a question. Um, what role do you think that social media has nowadays on mental health? Yeah, I think it, there's a there's a big connection there. We're seeing, like we're talking about, more and more resources coming out for people. There are apps that are meant to help people manage mental health and wellness and symptoms. There are mood tracking apps. 
I'm thinking about like podcasts that are out there that are around different mental health themes. Um, so we have never had more information out there than we do now on mental health topics. And I think it's complicated because on the one hand it's empowering, it allows individuals to have access to things that previously a licensed professional might only know. But now it's out there and I can learn and know that information for myself to employ it in my life. So that's a real positive. The downfall is that there is stuff out there that's not entirely accurate or research-based or that is misconstrued or perpetuates false information or assumptions or stereotypes about certain mental illnesses or symptoms. So it's a little bit of being an informed consumer, right? Um, using a critical lens when you're reading things and again, really checking in with yourself. If it resonates and feels helpful, then great. And if any part of it feels like it's adding to a sense of shame or this doesn't feel right or this feels inappropriate in some way, like trust your gut and don't read that one and don't look to it. Um, I'm also aware that there's some yeah, the, the idea of teletherapy, right, is becoming like like more and more talked about. So technology is changing people's access to and how they're thinking about mental health. Um, and there's pros and cons. So I have a question, jumping back a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, do you see a lot of perfectionism-related academic anxiety within like the spectrum of anxiety that you are dealing with? Like, is that something you see pretty frequently? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is very frequently. Um, yeah, I won't go off on too much of a tangent about where I think that comes from, but I, I think it is a common problem. I, it might be related to the way the educational system is, is just set up right now. It might be related to, um, I think social anxieties yes. feel more and more common, and so perfectionism can link onto social anxiety in some way because there is a, a maybe a preoccupation with how others are perceiving me rather than an ability to focus on my own work and my own learning. Um, so it's complicated, but we do see that a lot. Okay. Yeah. And do you think that, like, do you think it's one of the bigger influencing factors in academic issues, or would you say there's just a ton of other factors as well? I think it's a, I, both. I think it's a really big one. I think even if you're you're not someone who struggles with an anxiety disorder or perfectionism, it's still a theme. I think yeah. a lot of people in college are learning how to let go of grades when I've been told for a very long time how important and life-determining GPA and grades are. Yes. And it's finding that balance between, you know, it, not, I'm not saying like never show up to class and do the work, um, but I am saying that it, it becomes about a person learning how to define that balance for themselves and at what how do I find a balance between my schoolwork and my personal life and my mental health to maybe let go of some of the messages that family or society or teachers have given me and maybe decide for myself what a reasonable GPA is or what my goals and values actually are and how that relates or doesn't relate to graduating with a 4.0. Um, so I forget what the question was. <laughs> I kind of went off on a tangent. Okay, but, but it's a common issue. Yeah. So. 
Um, and our main focus is um, how the education system is affecting like mental health. So classroom in the school or on a systematic level, do you believe needs to be made regarding mental health in college? So I think this is a tough one. Related to what I was just saying, there's a, a dialectic here. And by dialectic, I mean like, I'm, I'm kind of saying two contradictory things, but I think they're both true. It is a professor's job, it is a teacher's job to expect high performance and develop mastery in students. And so it is a teacher's job to focus on having you do your best quality of work, learning the material, mastering the material, and that is their focus. But I would say, so I'm, I'm not sure that your professor is the one responsible necessarily for helping you to develop a healthier emotional life or self-esteem. It's a tricky issue. So it, I, part of me is saying it's not their job, but part of me is saying like the educational system is set up where there's a lot of pressure on grades and not enough focus on other things. So I'm not sure that I quite know the answer to it, but I, I think it starts with like, how do we as, as a society, as a community, really value the other pieces too? That we can't expect teachers to necessarily be the ones to do it all. We also can't expect therapists to be the ones who do it all. How do we develop healthier messages in communities where, sure, school is a thing and grades and mastery and learning are important, and yet there's also value that's placed on other things like well-being and being at peace with oneself and um, aligning my behaviors and my lifestyle to my values and being connected with healthy others, right? So there's a lot of parts of a healthy and meaningful life that have nothing to do with grades and GPA. And so it's not, I'm not sure it's that like universities and professors need to like totally forsake the idea of, of grades or learning that's important, but how do we focus more on other pieces so that people aren't feeling ashamed when they say, I need more. I need more than a 4.0. Like I need relationships, I need connection, I need meaningful work, that those things are also really important to mental health. So it's a big question and I don't really have answers, but I put it back on all of us to help change the culture and really like not not shame people for their decisions to find balance in their lives or to practice self-care, that those aren't things that that speak to weakness at all, they're things that speak to strength, and it's kind of sad that we've lost that message at, at some point, but we need to get back to that, that it's a lot more than grades, and helping to take care of each other emotionally and relationally, and doing that for ourselves. So lastly, um, would you say the Counseling Center is a good, like, starting off point at least for this or a good start to place to start and like what kind of I guess if you could just talk about like some of like the basic resources that the counseling center provides too would be pretty cool totally so it's like like I feel like with every other answer that I've given it, it depends right because some people aren't interested in therapy and that's okay too or some people already have therapists and they already have lives outside of the counseling center they're satisfied with that treatment so it's not for everyone but I would say that if you are someone who's struggling in some way with symptoms that you don't understand or you're feeling stuck in your life with some of those symptoms or difficulties and you don't know where else to go 
that absolutely it makes sense to start with the counseling center because we do a lot of this work and we're sort of experts in trying to understand and sort out complex problems to help give people a direction of what the problem might be and things that might be helpful. We're also really good at connecting people because we know about a lot of the resources on campus, both because I meet with students all the time who tell me about what's helpful for them, and so I have a sense of the spaces and places that people are really enjoying and benefiting from. Um, we're part of the Division of Student Affairs, and so we're aware of a lot of the different departments within that that offer support and services to students. So, we're good at connecting people to other places on campus. We're also good at knowing what's like out there in the community to connect people to. So it is a good place to start if you don't know where else to turn, but it's not mutually exclusive. So continuing to do the things that we're talking about with activity, nutrition, sleep, self-help, mindfulness, relationships, like all of that is great and important. You don't need a licensed therapist for that piece and yet a licensed therapist would be available to you if you want help um, building new and healthy habits into your life or if there are other bigger symptoms or issues or difficulties that you're not understanding that you want answers and treatment for. Oh, and to let me talk a little bit more about the services too if that's helpful. So um, we do offer individual treatment to students that is free of charge and clearly convenient because it's on campus. Um, the reality of our situation is that we have um, staffing that can't readily accommodate the thousands and thousands of students who are on this campus and looking for, for therapy. And so as a way to try to make our resources fair and equitable, that ends up translating to shorter term, intermittent and time limited services for students. So this varies on a case by case basis, but as an example, it might look like several sessions that aren't necessarily weekly at the same day, same time, like you would get in the community, but that are maybe spaced out a bit and maybe focused on a particular issue that the student is struggling with without going fully into their past or more fully into their relationships, but really focused on the one thing that they're coming in for to try to give some targeted assessment and help around that thing. Um, and also if there are more specialized needs or those several sessions aren't feeling helpful enough for the student, then we'll end up referring them out into the community for more help to continue that work. Um, the counseling center isn't the most appropriate fit for everyone, depending on your diagnosis, your clinical needs, your response to treatment in the past. So for various reasons, we may or may not be the best fit for students, but for the students who we see, it ends up looking like that shorter term work that I'm talking about. We also offer emergency services for all students. So what that looks like is, um, if there is a safety concern, like an increase in suicidal thoughts, or if a student is needing more urgent assessment, evaluation, and consultation, then they can walk in an emergency to see a clinician who is on call for that day for psychiatric emergencies. And so that's something that's also available to all students, whether or not you're a patient here, you can walk in on emergency to meet with someone. Um, and get some perspective and guidance and assistance in the moment. I'll talk about groups because I'm the group coordinator here, so that's something that's like near and dear to me. When I talked about the 
prevalence of isolation, social isolation on this campus and also in the general community. One of the ways that we try to assist with that problem is by providing healthy spaces here at the Counseling Center um, for students who want more support in their lives because again that's not a sign of weakness, that's a sign of health and as we're talking about building a healthy life across all domains, not just academics, having healthy relationships and spaces is really important. I've alluded to the ways that we're limited um, with individual work at times, but with groups there's a little bit more capacity where it doesn't have to be quite as time limited. Um, and so I guess that's my way of saying that that's another way we get creative with providing services is that even if I can't see someone indefinitely for individual treatment, I've sometimes had people participate in my groups over a longer period of time. And so the groups that we offer are, there's a wide range of groups. They're everything from treatment groups, like for social and performance anxiety, um, to more support groups. So there's a relationship support group, anxiety support group, um, to more identity groups. So a transgender and gender non-conforming group, um, black female student support group, Latina support group. So we have a lot of different spaces for people and those spaces constantly change too. So it's always great to check in with the counseling center. We distribute um, group information in various ways to try to get that out to students. It's usually on a website. So checking in to see every semester what the groups are and certainly if people are interested to call the counseling center or come in for an appointment to consider one of those for yourself. Wow, that was a very informational interview. If you like what you heard, stay tuned for our coping mechanisms, anxiety, and mindfulness episode, and our student culture and diversity special episode coming to you soon. For now, we are Guiding Lights, signing off, but not before we remind you to always remember to be mindful of your mental health. Take care, and we hope you listen again soon. Adios.